Okay, we're in the book of Judges, all right? Um, um, and in the next three weeks, we're going to study Judges 6, 7, 8, 9, all right? And Judges 6, 7, 8, 9 is the story of Gideon, all right? The exception is the chapter 9 is the story of Abimelech, but Abimelech is the son of Gideon. So technically speaking, let me lump it up into one whole story of Gideon. Now, today, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to... Excuse me, I've got a... I'm nursing a little bit of a sore throat, so if I... If I cough in the middle, just excuse me. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to cover Judges up to 6 and 7, but I don't think I can finish 7, so I'm going to stop at 7 and a half. But praise the Lord, next week I'm preaching for the first service, so I'm doing a part 1, part 2 series. So in the part 1, part 2 series today, uh, my, sermon, uh, my title of my sermon is, Are You the 1%? Are You the 1%? And next week for the first service, not this service, uh, we've got Pastor Samkyong for this service, for, uh, for, for, so I'm looking forward to that word. But for the first service, I'll be talking about guard your 1%. So it's a part one, part two thing. And today I want to talk about, are you the 1%? And I really want to ask every single one of us here, are you the 1%? Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about 1% of all of you here. So I'm just going to take on average, say there's 1,000 plus. So let's just say for easy of numbers sake, 1,000 of you here. 1% of 1,000 is 10. So I'm not saying that God is only calling 10 of you here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you look at the wider scale of our country, 30 million, you can be the 1%. All right? 30 million, 300,000 is the 1%, right? If you look at the scale of the whole world, 7 billion, what's 1%? You do the math. 7 million, is that it? Or, I, or is it 70 million? All right? Something like that. That's 1%. And I believe that God is calling the 1%. And I truly believe as you leave today, I want you to feel that you are the 1% called by God to be here in this church, in this country, in your family to fulfill the works of God. Your destiny is why God birthed you into this place. Now, I want to move on. I cannot, I, I, I wanted to get everybody to read two chapters today, but that accounted it would take 10 minutes. So I tell you what, I'm going to tell you the story of Gideon. So please go back and read Judges 6, 7, 8 while you give me five minutes while I tell you the full story of Gideon. Then I will zoom in on some, ex, uh, uh, some points that I want to pick out. I drew this map, all right? For all of, all of us here this morning, this is a beautiful map, don't you think? So I drew it on PowerPoint. This, this is my creation, my work of art, all right? I'm going to make this into an NFT one day. <laughs> um, uh, nope, but this is a simple drawing. Thank you for uh, looking at it. It's really, really simple. And I will explain that this is the map during the time of Gideon. Last week, remember, we studied the Canaanites attack Israel. The Canaanites are the tribe of the north, all right? So they attacked from the north uh, down to Israel. The Midianites today that are the, the enemy of Gideon, is uh, the tribe from the east of Israel, the Transjordan territory uh, uh, on the east of the River Jordan. So here is the Midianites. Now, of course, please bear in mind, this map is not to scale. Is that okay? So the Midianites here, they have to cross the River Jordan. So what, what splits this thing here is the River Jordan. They have to cross the River Jordan in order to attack uh, Israel. So there are five tribes of Israel mentioned in the book of, of Gideon. Number one, obviously, there's a tribe of Manasseh that's in the middle. Now, Gideon comes from the tribe of Manasseh, all right? So that's in the middle. Uh, then there are three northern tribes, which is the tribe of Zebulun, Asher, and Naphtali. They came to, to help. And then there's a southern tribe, which is the tribe of Ephraim. I won't cover that today. I will only cover that next week. Uh, 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 um. And in the middle, here you see a city, a star. There's four cities, four stars. Here is the city of Ophrah. Ophrah is actually the hometown of Gideon, all right? So Gideon lived there. That's where the angel of the Lord met Gideon at the town of Ophrah. 
Near Ophrah, or at least the other three stars, is Beth Bara, Sukkoth, and Kakor. Near Ophrah, there are three mountains here to look at, but take a look at the middle mountain, which is the most important mountain, the Mount of Moreh. The Mount of Moreh, uh, not Mordor, uh, Moreh, just in case you're watching Rings of Power. All right, but Mordor, okay, fine. But uh, Mount of Moreh is where the battle took place between the Israelites and the Midianites. You see, when the Midianites need to cross the River Jordan, they had to cross a valley called the Valley of Jezreel. So technically speaking, this battle happened in the Valley of Jezreel. Now, if you study the Bible long enough, you know that the Valley of Jezreel is famous for one thing. It is the Battle of Armageddon. The final battle between good and evil, the final battle between Jesus and Satan happens in the Valley of Jezreel. So the Valley of Jezreel is infamous, it's famous, uh, and the battle took place there. Now this X here shows that the battle took place right beside Mount Moreh. And this is how the battle goes. Then I explain. When the Midianites came to the to X marks the spot, Gideon met them at Mount Moreh. And he called upon the three northern tribes to help him, which is Zebulun, Asher, and Naphtali. And they came to the aid of Gideon, all right? <clears throat> yep, they came to the aid of Gideon. Now, at Mount Moreh, when the Israelites defeated the Midianites, the Midianites ran south to the town called Beth Barah. It's all in the book of Gideon. They ran south to the town of Beth Barah, and then Gideon called upon the tribe of Ephraim to come and cut the Midianites off to finish them off, all right? Uh, uh, and the Midianites then from Beth Barah ran from Sukkoth to Kakor, which I will cover next week. But today, I only want to talk about what the initial parts of the battle. So you can imagine today is the exaltational part. Next week will be the fire and the brimstone part. All right, there'll be a lot more fire and brimstone. But today, at the, mount, uh, uh, at the battle, why I called my sermon the 1% is because initially, when Gideon called the tribes, the three northern tribes, uh, tribes and Manasseh, he called the tribes, 32,000 men came to his call beckoned to him. So 32,000 men, but God told Gideon, no, 32,000 men is way too many. Uh, uh, you can take the slide off, media, thank you. 32,000 men is way too many. I need to trim you down to 300 men. Now, 300 out of 32,000 is 1%. See, God only needs the 1% for him to win a battle. He's only calling the 1%. So my question to you this morning is, are you the 1%? You see, the Midianites is 135,000 in number. And God only needed 300 men to defeat 135,000. Now, here is how the battle went place. So I'm not going to read this, so I'm going to tell, tell you the story. This is Mount Moreh. Just, just, just imagine this is Mount Moreh. It's a very nice mountain, don't you think? Uh, uh, as in, in Mount Moreh. So what happened is the Midianites camped at Mount Moreh which means that their backs were against the mountain. Is that all right? So it's, you know, they took shelter underneath uh, the mountain. So Gideon surrounded the Midianites, 135,000 men. He surrounded the Midianites with only 300. He divided the 300 into groups of threes, and one, 100 stood at the south, 100 stood at the west, looking at the camp, and 100 stood uh, uh, at the north, looking at the camp of the Midianites. All of the, the, the people had a torch, a torch with fire on it. Just imagine Indiana Jones. Then they had a, 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 a jar of clay to break. So when you break a jar of clay, obviously there's sound. And then each of them carried a trumpet. So in, back in those days, when you're about to ambush the enemy or when you're about to launch a surprise attack, what you want to do is you want to announce 
your, 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 your attack so that it surprises the enemy, throw your enemies into confusion, and then they'll be confused. And that's what Gideon did. So what he did is he broke the jar to make it seem like 300, uh, uh, maybe 3,000 3, or 300,000 because there's a, there's a lot of noise. He lit the torch to make it seem like there's a lot of people, and then he blew on the trumpet to make it seem like there's at least 300,000 people attacking the Midianites. So they, 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 they surrounded them, they, 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 they draw in upon them, and the Lord caused confusion in the Midianite camp, and they started killing each other. So friendly fire. So I think that Israel never needed to lift a, a better sword. The Midianites started to kill each other. And that's the story of Gideon. And that's the victory that God gave Gideon. And I believe that in this place today, I believe that the Spirit can also imbue you with the same strength and the same confidence and the same faith that he gave Gideon. There's some of us here, we are fighting battles that we do not know. You see, back those days, they fought a physical enemy. But now I know we don't fight a physical enemy anymore, do we? We fight a spiritual enemy. And that spiritual enemy could be 135,000 demons coming up against you. It could be 1 billion demons coming up against you. And today we want to be, I am the 1%. I want you to make me a Gideon so that I can fight. Because God, you are on my side. Like you said to Gideon, you are always with Gideon. God, you are always with me. And that is the gist of my sermon. Are you the 1%? So I really want to ask, are you the 1%? Do you want to be the 1%? Or do you want to be the 99%? Which they never won a battle. I want to get to my first of five points in the story of Gideon. My first point is this. The 1% sacrifice for the Lord. As I ask you this morning, as the Lord asks you, are you the 1%? There are five criteria to know that you are the 1%. And I'm going to believe and declare that you hold all five criteria. And the first is the 1% sacrifice to the Lord. You see, if you want a Gideon victory, you're going to need to know the Gideon formula for the victory. And the Gideon formula starts with this. I read from you Judges chapter 6. Okay, I did this at the, at the, at the last service. I'll do this again. This does not give the full context. Let me read from you from chapter four, uh, uh, verse 14, and then I'll continue from 18. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Good. God is asking Gideon, am I not sending you? And God is asking you today, am I not sending you? Are you not the 1%? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I don't know how many of you feel that way. I don't know which is the weakest tribe in, in, in Chinese tribe or dialect. Okay, so I don't dare to say, all right? So I'm, I'm obvious, obviously, you know, I'm laying on Fuchao, right? I obviously will tell you now, we are not the weakest uh, uh, clan and tribe in, in all of China. I don't know, I'm just kidding. Um, you tell me which is the weakest tribe in all of China, and I am the least of your family. You could be the youngest. But least here does not just necessarily just mean youngest. He's the only child left because his brothers were killed by the Midianites, right? So he's the least because he's the only child. He's the least because he's the youngest. He's the least because he's the weakest. And then the Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I will be with you. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. Gideon asked for a sign, and now we are here. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Oh, I'm going to come back to this. I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket, 
pay attention to this, I'm going to come back, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak, the oak tree of Ephrah. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire fled from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. Amen. You know what this story tells me? This story tells me that Gideon is the 1% that will sacrifice and will give offerings to the Lord. I really love this, 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 this scripture. I will wait until return. It's not Gideon saying to, to the Lord, God, I will wait for you. You see, we always say to God, God, I will wait for you. God, I will wait until you show me who you are. Show me your face. Show me your glory. I will wait for you. Show me your miracle. I will wait for you. Show me. I will wait for you. But here, the grace and the mercies of God, God said to Gideon, I will wait for you. Who are we that the Lord of the universe, the Almighty, the beginning and the end, the timeless one, the all-powerful one, the Creator God, will wait for us? Now, how long did God wait? That's a good question. Did He wait for a minute or two? I don't think so. Why? If you look at this passage, see, they are in a famine. You see, the, the context before this is that the Midianites were, 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 were oppressing the Israelites so much so that Israelites had to leave their homes and to take camp in the cleft of the rock, in the mountains. So they were in the mountainside. I want you to imagine, you had famine, your livestock has been demolished, your, your, your famine has been gone. Thank you, Bina team, you can take the slide down. Your, your famine has, your, you know, your, your, your food stock has been ravaged, your livestock has been ravaged, and you've got nothing left. And here Gideon said, I want to prepare an offering for you, my Lord. And he went to take a young goat. It has to be precious. I want to, there's no more food left in your fridge except a, I don't know, a single piece of grape. All right, I don't know. That's a very sad fridge, I know. It's like a student fridge. That's a student fridge, all right? We'll pray for you all students in this place. And there's a packet of Maggie Mee there, not in the fridge, next to the fridge. And there's maybe one egg left in your fridge. And then a stranger comes in your house and says, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you said, I will, I will make an offering for you. And you take your last piece of Maggie Mee, you take your last piece of egg, and you says, I'm going to make this an offering for you. And I believe that is the heart of Gideon. You see, he took his goat, and then he took the ephah of flour, just a little bit, and he made a piece of bread. And then here it says that Gideon didn't serve the goat. He served a broth. How many of you know, if you're a chef in this place, you know it takes at least two hours to make a broth. It's not a soup, it's a broth, which means that Gideon had to cook, which means Gideon had to prepare. He had to sacrifice the goat. He had to slaughter the goat. He had to prepare the goat. He had to prepare the flour. He had to bake the bread. He had to heat up, make, uh, uh, light the wood on fire. He had to make the broth. He had to wait for it to cook, and then he brought it out. I believe all in all, in my guesstimate, this is not biblical knowledge, but my guesstimate, three hours maybe for him to prepare all this. And the Lord so graciously, graciously said, I will wait for you. And I asked God, why? Why? Why would you wait? Because God says, look at the heart of this man. Look at his heart. He's willing to give me everything he has, even though he has got nothing. He's willing to give me the best, even though he's got nothing. He's willing, it is his heart that I'm willing to wait for him to give me his sacrifice. And God is asking you this morning, where is your heart? Are you willing to give your best to God? Or you give God your scripts? You give God your last? 
You give God the, the, the final portion of your day or the final portion of your week or the final portion of your money or your belonging or the final portion of your time and your energy and you serve Him with the final portion of your time or you're willing to give Him your best. You see, God says, when I see Gideon, I see the 1%. The 1% will always give me his best, even though there is nothing left. And I want to assure all of you, if you've only got one egg and one Maggie Mee left in your fridge and God visits you and you offer that to God sincerely with all your heart, isn't he not a God, your provider? Is he not a God that will supply all your need? Is he not a God who is El Shaddai? Is he not a God who is more than enough? If you are willing to give God your 1%, that is your best, he will give you his best. If you take your one foot of 1% towards him, he will take the 99% towards you. And I truly believe this morning that Gideon gave him his best. Gideon gave him his heart and God said, yes, I'm pleased with you. I will light your offering with fire. You see, that's how we know that God is pleased with us. Just like the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain and Abel in the beginning of the book of Genesis, Cain abled his offering. Uh, Cain gave his offering. Abel gave his offering. But God only accepted Abel's offering because Abel was pure at heart and Cain got jealous. You see, in the Old Testament, when your offering is light on fire, it means God is pleased with you. So I ask you this morning, if we are called to be a living sacrifice, if we are called to give our life, our, our mind, our strength, everything, our love, our heart, all onto God, we are called to be a living sacrifice, do you think God is pleased with you? If the answer is yes, then the Holy Spirit fire will come upon you and He will always light you on fire. You are not a cold Christian. You are not a fizzled out Christian. You would always be a Christian who is on fire for Jesus. I always long and I always ask Jesus, come Holy Spirit, light me on fire. Light me afresh. Reignite me again. Re-excite me again. Because I know, Father God, I am a living sacrifice, but I want to know that you are pleased with me. Are you the 1% who will sacrifice for God? And I truly believe this church is the 1%. I truly believe all of you will sacrifice for God. I believe you're committed. I believe you love God. Amen? I believe you fear God. Amen? I believe you will commit to God. Amen? Don't give up. Don't stop now. Always remember, you are that 1%. And after you are that 1%, that will sacrifice for God. It leads me to my second point. The 1% will always consecrate their lives for God. The 1% will always consecrate their lives for God. You see, the word consecration is big. The 1% will always be holy before God. Always be holy before God. That is a very big word in the church all the time, which is be holy, be holy, be holy. And it's always a big thing because holiness always shows that I'm a sinful person. How many of you here hasn't sinned? No, please don't raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. But then I realized one of you may raise your hand. If you do raise your hand, that's okay. You're either very innocent or we will pray for you. Okay, that's all. These are the only two options you have. But all of us here have sinned. All of us here have done crazy things, you know, wrong things. But God is saying, consecrate your life. How do I know? Where do I get this? The book of Judges, chapter 6. After God consumed Gideon's sacrifice and God says, I am pleased with you, I have called you, then God said, that same night, God said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd. Now, the second bull here does not mean that there is a first bull, all right? It does not mean that he had to play any, mini, money more. The second bull gets to die. 
today, not the first bull, right? It doesn't mean that. Second bull in the Jewish language means a full-grown bull, which means as a bull that is full-grown. Now, this is very precious. So if you're anybody who's a farmer here, you would know that a full-grown bull is very precious because, you know, he continues the, your, your livestock, right? All the female cows out there. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole. Oh, quick break. I want to explain to you what seven years old means. It's very important to know that if you are in war, if people are ravaging your land and ravaging your livestock, most, more often than not, you won't have enough animals left. You can only carry the baby ones. You can only carry, carry it off. The fact that this is seven years old, which means that when they ran to the mountains, this bull had to be a precious bull. You, you, you would pull out of all the livestock you leave behind, this is the bull that, that comes with me because this is the bull that can work the fields. This is the bull that can, you know, continue the bull line lineage, right? So that's, this bull is a very precious bull. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. The 1% will always consecrate their lives for Jesus Christ. You see, first God will call you. And when you respond with a yes, then God says, I will command you to do something and to take a first step of obedience towards me. More often than not in the Bible, God will always make a first command that is to consecrate your life, just like Gideon. You see, Gideon in his house or his father's house, Joash, there is a Baal altar in his father's house. If you continue the story, when Gideon demolished this altar, he was not only afraid of his father, he was also afraid because the villagers would want, wanted to kill him. Why did the village want to kill him, not just the family? See, I believe that this Joash altar, he must have been the head of the community Baal altar. He must have been, which means that this altar served his family, this altar also served the community. So this father, this father must have been the head of it. He has to be the head. Now, when God called Gideon to break down this altar, angering the community, but more importantly, angering his father, you break your father's things, how many of us would shiver in fear? How many of us here, if God called you to go and break something that belongs to your father, you would say, yes, immediately. Yes, God, I will go and break this thing. You know, I don't think so, right? Like, if you ask me to break my father's power tools, I think, uh, no, I would shiver in fear. I would shiver in fear to, I, 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 would, I, I would rather preach on here than to break my father's power tools, right? That's sacred to him. That's, that's, sac that's consecrated to him, to him, right? So I believe it has to be scary for Gideon. Go and break your father's altar. See, are you sure? But I believe because Gideon was called. I believe because Gideon took a step of faith. He said, yes, I will do it. I will break my father's altar. God is calling us all here today. When God called you, He not only just called you to your destiny, He first called you to consecration. He first calls you to make sure that your life is holy and your life is right before God. Because He cannot give you the victory if you're worshipping another God under your house. He cannot give you the victory if you're worshipping another thing under your nose, under your roof. He can't give you that victory. Victory and glory only belongs to Him, nothing else. You see, I truly believe in this uh, breaking of generational curses, breaking of generational sins, breaking of generational uh, uh, altars. I, I really do. You know, it was a couple of years ago, 
I think, and as I try to think back, I think it was nine years ago, eight years ago, we were doing this um, deliverance, right, for a friend. We were doing this deliverance for a friend, and the friend said to us that the friend could, he couldn't hear in the, right, in the left ear for the longest of time, but it was not a genetic thing because he could hear when he was young, but now he cannot hear. And it was just an overnight thing. It was, there was no accident, there was no sickness, there was nothing. He just couldn't hear in his left ear, only in his right and then as we probed more, uh, and we asked him more, and, and he said, by the way, it was back then when I dabbled in um, temple stuff or stuff that does not belong in the church of God uh, under Jesus Christ, definitely does not please God. So he bought certain things, and those certain things, those charms or amulets or whatever it is, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the resident expert here. This morning we had Pastor Stephen here, he's a resident expert. Right, yesterday we had Pastor Gil, but these are the two resident experts. So he bought something, and I believe it must have been from a temple, and I believe the, the, the merchant must have dedicated uh, this item uh, uh, to the spirit or whatever spirit or whatever gods that, uh, that he, 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 he was worshipping, and he bought it. And he says, every time I brought it home, I have never had peace. I couldn't hear in my left ear anymore, so which means that my sensory is, is not as good. Everything is dull to me. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll pray for you. And I said, I tell you what, we're going to break this item. And he says, this item has been in my family for quite a, quite a while. It's a family heirloom. I says, well, we feel that you should break this altar. It's not just me. It's a team of people. You should break this thing. And he says, I tell you what, I'll go back and pray about it. I'll go back and think about it. I said, okay, fine. You take, you take however long you want. You let us know when you're ready. Two days later, he called us back. He says, okay, I tell you what, I'm ready to break this. I said, have you informed your family? He says, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling them there's a bigger battle to fight. I'm just going to obey God, and I believe that God is asking me to break it. We'll break it, and we, we did it. So we had a, we had a little uh, uh, thing. We, we broke it. We prayed. We consecrated. We, we pleaded the blood. We took communion. We broke the thing, uh, uh, um, and then we prayed the final prayer. We prayed the final prayer over him. I was standing to his left. Our team of us were standing to his left, and we were praying over him. And then when we said amen, he said, he looked up. He says, I can hear now in my left ear. I heard your Amen. I heard your amen. I says, wow, God is a good God. And he goes to show that the fact that he couldn't hear is not medical, it's not genetic, it was spiritual. I truly believe it was spiritual. And when he broke that altar, the grip the enemy had over him broke. When he broke that charm, the chains that held him back broke. And I believe now he is set free to do the things of God. This was eight years ago, and it's the same for Gideon. God could not give him the victory until he break the chains that hold him back. God cannot give you your victory until he breaks the chains that hold you back. And the only question today is, are you willing, are you ready to break those chains? Are you the 1% that will consecrate your life to break those chains so that you can hear the Lord better, so that you can see the Lord better. I don't know if you can smell the Lord better, but I know that when the presence of the Lord comes, it's a, sweet, it's a sweet aroma. So maybe, yes, you can smell the Lord better. You can taste the Lord better. And that is what we want in SIBKL, the 1% that will consecrate your life before God. And I truly believe there will be breakthroughs in your life and in your family. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. But when you've consecrated your life, see, it goes deeper and deeper. God takes you step by step. It doesn't finish there, right? First, you sacrifice and offer to God. 
come and set me free. Then God says, are you the 1% whose identity is in the Lord? Are you now the 1% whose identity is in the Lord? God wants to know, to whom do you belong to? To whom is your master? To whom is your Lord? And to whom do you belong to? How do I get this from the book of Gideon? Judges chapter 6, verse 30. The man in the town, so again he broke the altar. So the man in the town demanded Joash, the father of Gideon, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save Baal? Whoever fights for Baal shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day, they called Gideon Jeru Baal, saying, Baal, contend with him. Let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. I believe there's a lot to learn from, from just this short passage of Scripture. You see, some, some theologians say that Joash's father is all good. Some theologians say that Joash's father is all bad. But I believe he's both. I know, he, yes, he, must, he erected an altar that's not right of him. But I think he's both. I believe he's good and bad. I believe that Gideon is his final son. You see, next week I'll share that Gideon lost his brothers to the Midianites. So I think Gideon was the only son left. Now, if you're a father and there's the only son left and your other sons have, 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 have gone, of course you will want to pre- you, you protect him, even though he broke your things. Oh, man, why did you do that? Why? Now I've got to defend you with this crazy crowd. Why do you have to do that? But okay, fine, you're my only son left. I'll defend you, right, Gideon? All right, so he did. And so he defended, he says, why do you guys need to kill him? Whoever defends Baal will be killed in the morning. So yes, the father defended the son. But at the same time, the father also said, let Baal contend with him. He threw the son under the bus a little bit. Let Baal contend with him. You see, back in those days, in ancient Near East uh, religion, what they believe is, if you break a god's altar, whatever god it is, you know, the, 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 like, a, like a billion gods, right? What, if you break one of the gods' altar, they truly believe that that god that resides there will take his revenge upon you in one way or form or another. Your health, your wealth, your family, your children, your business, whatever it is. That god will take revenge upon you. And now Joash is inciting that belief and telling the people, you worship Baal, now you all know that whoever breaks that altar, Baal will contend with him. Baal will take his own revenge against him. And therefore, from that day onwards, the whole town and the whole community called Gideon, Jeru Baal. Now, I don't think that's a nice name to call. Jeru Baal. Let Baal contend with you. Let Baal take revenge. Can you imagine when somebody called you Jeru Baal? I mean, every minute, every moment, every hour, every day, every week, every month, you're reminded of the fact that Baal will come and take revenge upon you, that Baal is fighting you, that Baal will, will, will come and disturb you, that Baal will come and spiritually oppress you. Every day you're reminded it's not a thing. It's a mockery. You see, they use this name. If they cannot kill Gideon, they use this name to shame him. They use this name to mock him. They use this name to cast a slur upon Gideon. How many of us here, you've been called names before that were not so nice, that you think was unjust? It may not be now. I don't know how old you are now, averagely. But maybe you think in your high school, I'm sure it's on rampant, right? In high school, everybody calls you names. 
but maybe in your workplace? Has anybody called you names in your workplace? Ooh, the apple polisher. <laughs> Ooh, the one who only works when the boss comes in. <laughs> you know, Ooh, the one who only, only wants the promotion and never wants to do the dirty work. You know, you get these labels that are stuck on you. What about your friends? Ooh, the shopaholic. Ooh, the liar. Ooh, the, the avid gossiper. You get these names stuck upon you, and these names are designed to shame you. These names are designed to mock you. These names are designed to tell you that this is your identity from now onwards. But did, it let, did the name-calling stop Gideon? You see, there are two types of name-calling that I want to make sure I'm very clear today. If you are really a shopaholic, okay, and you have maxed out all your credit cards, you're, in, you, you're really in debt, and you really cannot stop, you really have a problem, and your, your, your parents or your siblings say, there's an intervention, I think you're a shopaholic, they're not calling you names. They're just calling out facts. They, they, just, that's it, okay? I don't know who you are. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's any one of you. They're, just, they're not calling you names. It's just a fact. Time to deal with it. Time to do something with your life, all right? Get better. Come to church. We'll pray for you. Let's get better, all right? There's another type of name calling where some of us, we take a step of faith and we obey God. How many of us have been in that position? We take a step of faith and we obey God. But in taking that step of faith, people mock us because they don't understand. In taking that step of faith, people make fun of us because they don't understand. You know, classic example. Some of us here, or me, I take a step of faith to come into full time. Yes, there's a pay cut. I know. You know, of course, of course I know. All right. Yes, there's a bit of a pay cut. Yes, there is a, 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 a lot more pastoral work to be done. Yes, yes, you know, we have got to, 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 to lead the church and to pastor the church. Yes, I'm aware of all this. But not everybody. Everybody who thinks, you're so young. Why don't you go and work out there, earn your millions first, and then you give, 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 give it to God, uh, uh, where you can join the church when you're 50 years old. You're so young. Why do you have to, why do you have to make this decision? You're going to take a 60% pay cut, 70% pay cut. What, what are you doing with your life? You, you could have bought a house. You could have bought a car. You could have gone on holidays. You know, some of us here, we've chosen to obey God. Oh, yes, now I want to start a family altar, all right, in my house. And then people call you, oh, you're a hyper-spiritual person. Oh, my goodness, you're, you're this prayer, prayer, ghost, 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 ghost stuff. All right? What type of Christian are you? So that's such a shame. That's to mock you. But I tell you what, just like Gideon, I tell you what, when you take that step of faith to obey God and you don't obey 20 years later, you obey now. You take that first 1% step of faith and if it is really because you're obeying God, if the step of faith is because you want to submit, you want to honour the Lord God Almighty and He has called you to this thing, then whether or not people call you names, whether or not people misunderstand you, whether or not people talk behind your back or gossip behind you, I tell you what, the Lord God will redeem what He has started. The Lord God will restore. The Lord God will never put you to shame. You will never be ashamed. You will never be ashamed. Amen? You will never be. Just like Gideon. You see, they shamed him saying that Baal will contend. But God used him, a nobody, the weakest, the youngest, to take 300 men to rout out 130,000 warriors of the Midianites. And he won that battle. And from that point onwards, you never hear the word Jerubbaal anymore. People then recognize that this, this Gideon, he has his God. He has a powerful God. And they begin to say, you are not Jerubbaal. You are Gideon. You did the right thing. You see, when you follow God and you do the right thing before the eyes of the Lord, you honor God and you put Him first. The world may not understand, 
but the Lord does. And He will redeem and He will restore you. And when He does redeem and restore you, the world will look at you and say, who is this God you serve? Who is this God that is almighty? I pray that in my life, when people look at me, well, I did many things when I was young, okay? All right, I, I, not so good things with Allah, huh? All right, I'm, I mean, yeah. Okay, one day I'll tell you my past. Okay, maybe not. I don't know. But maybe you don't need to know. But uh, you, you know, one day I hope, you know, I mean, we're young. We do a lot of crazy things, right? I hope that people will look at me and say, you? God called you? Why? I says, I don't know. It has to be God. I ask God, don't ask me. And I, I hope they would say, who is this God of Isaac? Who is this God of Isaac Ling that had redeemed him and restored him? And then I would take that opportunity to say, I tell you what, come to church. I'll tell you who is God. Meet me for lunch. I'll tell you who is God. Come to our cell. I'll tell you who my God is. Come, I'll take you out for a drink. I will tell you who my God is. And God will use you to be the mouthpiece of his gospel. He redeems you. Amen, church? He redeems you. Will you be the 1% whose identity is secure in Him? And I want to pray. Some of us here, we do carry the baggage. Short story, okay? Short story. It was just many, many eons ago, okay? I, I don't think it's in this church. It's my previous church in, in the UK. I asked a friend, hey, who is this person? And then the friend said, oh, he's a divorcee. And I looked at the friend and I go, that's very odd. You describe him by a transgression that he has done. You know, you could have called him by many things. You, he, I'm sure he has a name. You can Adam, Eve. I'm sure he has a gender, but he's a guy. You know, I'm sure he's got a job. You can call him engineer, teacher, you know, hawker store owner, you know, drink, whatever it is. I'm sure you can describe him by many things, right? Or he's a clean person, not a clean person, or he's, he's confident. or he, You can describe a person, but you describe him by a transgression. He's a divorcee. And I have a strange feeling that some of us here, we carry that stigma with us. And today, I want, I want us to, we want to pray for you because we want to break that stigma. Because whatever the world calls you is not your identity. Whatever God calls you will always be your identity. What God calls you, that you are a son of God. You are a child of God. You are a precious one, that He knew your name before you were even born in your mother's womb, that He is your shield, your high rampart, that He is your God. And I tell you what, when you take your identity, that all His promises are yes and amen in you, that God has a plan to, to give you, to prosper you, and to have a good plan for you, when you take that, that is your identity, and we want to restore it today. There will be no spirit of shame in this house. There will be a no spirit of mockery in this house. Everybody will be known by what God sees you. Amen, church? 1%. Make sure your identity is in Christ. Are you that 1%? And when you say yes, you are the 1% that I will give my best and my offering to Christ. I am the 1% that I will consecrate my life to Christ. I am the 1% that I will secure my identity in Christ then you will be the 1% that will obey in faith. You see, this is a step-by-step -step thing. If you can't even have your identity in Christ, you cannot consecrate your life in Christ, then it's going to be very difficult to obey in faith. But I believe with all my heart that you are that 1% that will obey. See, where did I get it from? Judges chapter 6 and 7. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning his friends, to follow him. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength have saved her. Very important. 
announced now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Then the Lord filtered more. And in verse 7, he says, The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that, I, that left, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go. This is important. You see, if Gideon could not obey by giving the offering, if Gideon could not obey by consecrating and demolishing the altar, if Gideon could not obey by saying that this is my identity in the Lord, then how is he going to obey this? The 1% will always obey in faith, not by sight. You will always obey when God says, you do X, not Y. You do Y, not Z. You will always obey in faith, not by sight. You see, when Gideon made the call, 32,000 men came. If I was Gideon, and I see 135,000 Midianites there, I would have told God, God, and God said, I, I, you think you have too, I think you have too many, Gideon. If I was Gideon, I would say, God, no. I don't have enough. Let's put it that way. They've got 135. I've only got 32. I don't have enough. What are you talking about? And what furthermore, what intrigued me the most about this whole passage is I asked God for so many weeks. You see, God said, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and Gideon blew a trumpet, and 32,000 men came rallying to his call. If I was Gideon, I said, number one, God, I'm not going to trim it down. Number two, God, it was not me that brought the 32,000 men. It was you that brought the 32,000 men. All right? I didn't, I didn't call them. You called them. And now you're asking me to go and filter them out when you have called them? Then why did you make me call them? Hello? I mean, can you imagine? I call I, 1,000 of you to come. And then after that, you come. I says, by the way, I need to filter 80% of you. You would have asked me, right? Oh, you, you call me for what? Are you, what, what you do? You, you call me for what? They would have hated Gideon, right? I totally understand what Gideon is going through. But Gideon obeyed. You never see him argue. Because Gideon said, if, if you don't, you guys don't have, if you guys are, you, you came in fear, then go back. You don't need men with fear here. You only need men with faith. And I asked God, God, why did, you, why did you ask Gideon to call? Why couldn't you have skipped that process? Just 300 men lah, straight away, one shot lah. This is, why, this is what my belief, okay? This is Isaac Ling's theology, all right? I believe if he called and 32,000 men didn't come, only two men came, I think Gideon would have been disheartened. Uh, God, no need to fight lah. It's okay, thank you. I appreciate your help, but no need to fight lah. Can you imagine? I call and only my wife and Elder Kuntat come. I say, where's the rest of the army? Uh, they are home sleeping. They don't, they, don't, they don't have faith in you. I say, ah, yeah, okay, I'll tell you what. It's okay. Thanks for your time. Let's go home. Let's have a meal. Let's go home. No, you're fine already, all right? Thank you very much. Media nights, here you go. This is the livestock. Take it and go. All right? You know, I, so I believe, why did God make Gideon call? Because God is showing when the Spirit comes upon you, I will always back you up. The men will always come. I will always back you up. When the Spirit of God falls upon your business, God will say, I will always back you up. When the Spirit of God falls upon your family, God will always say, I will always back you up. There will always be people to win the war for you. But the people that win the war cannot be people of fear, can only be people of faith. And out of the 32,000, He only chose 1%, the people of faith. The people of faith who says, I will go. 
the people of faith to say, I will battle and I will contend and I will not give in. I will not give up because when the enemy comes, they will kill, steal and destroy and plunder me and my generation and I will never let that happen. I believe today you are the 1% that will obey in faith and you are 1% that will stand in the gap to say that I will not let the enemy plunder me and my family. I will not let the enemy plunder me and my generation. I will not let the enemy plunder me and my nation. We are that 1%. And if you are that 1%, it leads to my final point. My final point, how did Gideon, what did Gideon do to win such a glorious battle? The 1%, the last 1% is to me the best 1%. If you are the 1% that will obey in faith, in faith, you must obey in faith, then you are the 1% that will worship in the enemy's camp. You will worship in the enemy's camp. Where did I get this? This is gotten from Judges chapter 7. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. I'll explain what this means. He worshipped God. Then he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, which means he worshipped God in the enemy's camp and then he went back. You see, on the night before the attack, God said to Gideon, Gideon, I know you feel a little afraid. Read it, it's there. It says, God, Gideon says, Gideon, I know you're a little afraid. You've got 300, there's 135,000. I know you're a little afraid. I tell you what, I tell you what. Why don't you walk to the enemy's camp? I tell you what, if I was Gideon, I would say, oh, are you serious? I'm already scared. You asked me to walk by myself to the enemy's camp. Are you, are you kidding me, God? Are you seriously, you test, you're pushing my faith to its limits. You're pushing my faith to its boundaries. But Gideon says, okay, I'll go. And he walked to the camp and he heard what God is doing amongst the enemies. See, the enemy had a dream, one of the camp. He had a dream. There's a dream that a tumbleweed came and, 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 and went through the Midianite camp and killed all the Midianites. And then the, 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 the dreamer said this, I believe this tumbleweed must be the sword of Gideon because God is with Gideon and he has come to destroy us. And when Gideon heard this dream, he knew that God has already won the battle before him. God has already won that battle. He's already created confusion in the enemies. He's already discouraged the enemy. He has already gone ahead of him to win that battle. And when he heard that dream, he suddenly gained courage. He says, yes, out of all these signs, I now know my God is with me. What is the first thing he did? He worshipped in the enemy's camp. You see, worship in those days are not like us. We come to a sanctuary, there must be a piano playing. It's beautiful, don't you think? It's beautiful, right? Everything is more spiritual when the piano's playing. All right? The piano's playing. We stand up, we worship God. That's not, that's not their worship. Their worship is they prostrate and they bow face flat upon the ground. And in that position, they recite the Torah. For worship to them is the Word of God. Worship to them is being humble before God. And now, again, I bring you to time. In the Bible, it says he worshiped, he went back home. But I want you to think. When you bow down and prostrate, do you think it's one minute? No, no, no. I don't think so. Well, it's not for me. It would be half an hour. When you want to recite the Torah, do you think it's half an hour? No. You want to recite the Shema law again, again, again? I think it's a few hours. I think Gideon stayed there and worshipped for a few hours. He worshipped the Almighty God. What was he doing? He was bringing the presence of God into the enemy's camp and making an altar there. And I believe it is that worship that gave him the final confidence to tell the Israelites, get up, for the Lord has given the Midianites into our hands. And he stood in confidence, get up, 
get up. And I'll be saying to the church, get up, get up. Don't be discouraged. Get up from your, from your apathy. Get up, wake up, because the Lord would deliver your enemy into your hands. But only if you would bow down and you would worship. And you would give Him everything that you have. You know, I, I grew up with this song and I heard it was sung in CP Towers. So some of you may know it. If you don't know it, it's a beautiful song. See, I love the song. It says, I went to the enemy camp and I took back what he stole from me. Yeah. I took back what he stole from me. I took back what he stole from me because I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me because he's under my feet. Is under my feet Cause of Satan is under my feet I love that song I grew up with that song, right? We should sing it in our children's rally We should sing it in YC my, my son should know that song He would love that song, right? I went to the enemy's camp And I took back what he stole from me I took back what is. It's a children's song, yeah see, I, also, I, re, I still remember my, my actions Took back, grow up, go to children's church, alright? It's good, it's beautiful I love it some of us here, we've got our enemies that have ravaged your life. Your job, your health, your family, your children, your spiritual life have been ravaged. You were once excited for the things of God, but now you're a little bit dry. You're a little bit apathetic. You're a little bit indifferent, right? Once you were G14, how many of us were on fire? What happened, G15? Where are we now? It's a, it's a, we need to go to the enemy's camp and take back what belongs to us. How many of us here have children that are no longer worshipping God? Go to the enemy's camp and take back what the enemy has stored from you. Because you are the parent. You have authority over your children. Nobody else. I don't have authority over your children. I'm the pastor. I know I have authority over the church. But God has given you the authority over your children. I have authority over my children that I know, that I know very clear. And some of us here were praying for our children. How many of us here, your enemy has taken up your jobs, ravaged your business? Go to the enemy's camp, worship, and take back what the enemy has stolen from you. You are the 1% that will worship, not in the church. Please come and worship in the church. It's a safe place, right? It's a nice place to worship. You can do whatever you want in this, in this sanctuary. It's a safe place. You want to kneel, you kneel. You want to bow, you bow. You want to prostrate here, I welcome you. Please, it's okay. We're not going to stop you. You want to, you want to jump, you want to lift your hands, you want to cry, we give you a tissue. You want to laugh, we laugh with you. Whatever it is, it's a safe place. But how many of us dare to go to the enemy camp and take back and worship there? How many of us dare to say that in my workplace, you know, I may be surrounded by non-Christians, but in my little cubicle, or maybe you have an office, or maybe you even have a desk, I will worship my Lord, my God at that desk and I will take back what the enemy has stolen from me. I will take back and I will take my worship into the enemy's camp. How many of us have children who no longer believe in God? Go into their rooms and pray and take back what the enemy has stolen from them. Take back authority over your children's life. Go and pray over them that they will come back to church how many of us here are crying out for the next generation? And we will go into the space. We will go into the spiritual territory of the next gen. We will go into the schools. We will go into the universities and the campuses. We will go into the workplaces because I believe we will worship there and we will take back what the enemy has stolen from us. We will take back. How many of us here, your health, whatever reason, pray, worship, take back what the enemy has stolen from us. Be that 1% who will tarry in worship and prayer. Amen, church? Amen? And I want to close with this. 
after you've heard the story of Gideon and what Gideon has gone through and he has seen his victories, I want to assure all of you that some of us here, you may have 135,000 demons coming up against you. But I want to assure you today that with Jesus by your side, you are still the majority. You may have one billion demons coming up against you, but you today, you have Jesus on your side, you are still the majority. You may have all your community laughing and shaming you, mocking you, but with Jesus by your side, you are still the majority. If you have the whole world laughing at you, with Jesus by your side, you are still the majority. If you have the enemy ravaging your life today, we want to pray for you. We want to stand together and we want to pray, we want to intercede, we want to tarry in worship and prayer together with you because we want to take back what the enemy has stolen from each and every one of us. Can we rise to our feet? Can I invite the pastors up forward? I want to open the, I want to open the altar call today. I want to open the altar and I'm praying that if you feel today you, you are fighting a battle, we want to pray with you. If you are fighting the battle for your children, we want to pray with you. If you're fighting a battle for your family, we want to pray with you. If you're fighting a battle for your work, we want to pray with you. Because all the promises of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So the altar is open. We're going to sing a song. Come on forward. The pastors are here. The leaders are here. We want to pray for you. We want to worship together with you. And we want to believe in the name of Jesus that every generational sin will be broken today. We want to believe in the name of Jesus that every shame and every mockery and every name calling that has placed upon your life will be broken today. I want to believe in the name of Jesus that your family will be restored today in the name of Jesus. I want to believe that your business will be restored in the name of Jesus today. So the altar is open. Come on forward. There will be pastors and leaders to pray for you as we worship and we praise God with this song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I really want to sing this bridge one more time. Or at least a few more times. But I want to sing it slower. I want us to make it like a worship before God. A worship and a declaration that I'm standing on the promises that you make. And I will see it come to pass in your name. In your name. I want you to remember all the promises that God has given you. You will say to God, I will see it come to pass in your name. In your name. What has He promised you today? What has He promised you today that we have forgotten? That we have hide under a bushel? That we have hide and we have forgotten? God wants to remind us today that He is a good God. He wants to see it come to pass in the name of Jesus. Oh, and I am standing on every promise that you made. I will see it come to pass in your name. In your name, Jesus, I will trust every word I hear you say. I will see it come to pass in your name, in your name. I am standing on every promise that you made. I will see it come to pass in your name. Pass in your name, in your one last time. 
going up in front there are quite a lot of people that need prayer to my right so if you're a prayer leader or pastor that you're free I think there are a bunch of people to my right that do need prayer so I think uh, ushers or pastors can you help lead the people to my right I think they're standing there they need prayers if, for the rest of us can we lift up our hands and I'd like to close us in prayer and not to say the closing benediction thank you Father God Lord Jesus you are a good God Father Lord God we declare today that we are that 1% Father Lord Jesus, every one of us here today, we are that 1%. Father God, we will give you our offering. We will give you our best. Father God, we will consecrate our lives and make it holy unto you, for you are holy. Father Lord Jesus Christ, our identity is secured in you and nothing can shake it, Father God. Father Lord God, all of us here, we will obey everything you say and take a step of faith, take the step of obedience. And Father Lord Jesus, all of us here, we will worship you. We will worship you in the enemy's camp and we will take back what is stolen from us. We thank you, Lord God, that we give you all that glory, all that praise, the highest honour, the throne of God. Be lifted up unto your name, Lord Jesus. You are the Lamb of God that deserves all praise, all honour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.